Welcome to Sense and Sensibility, the Inflation Guy podcast. I am Michael Ashton. I am the Inflation Guy, and I am your host on this CPI day. Today on the podcast, we're going to talk about the monthly CPI report and my perceptions of it. Um, Next week, by the way, a little preview, um, I'm going to talk about greedflation, so uh, be sure to tune into that. We had some requests to talk about that because it's been in the news recently, and greedflation is the notion that uh, inflation is mainly caused because businesses want to make too much money. Um, But for today, we're focused on the CPI report and on the implications for the Federal Reserve. But first, a word from our sponsor, Simplify ETFs. This episode of Sense and Sensibility is sponsored by Simplify ETFs. Simplify is a new ETF provider offering alternative investment strategies with full transparency, daily liquidity, and low costs. Some of their hedge fund style strategies include managed futures, commodity trend following, steepener trades, and more. If you are an individual investor or an RIA, you will likely find a compelling alternative investment from Simplify that can help improve your portfolio Check out their website at simplify.us, and you can find their entire lineup of ETFs at simplify.us slash ETFs. Thank you, Simplify. Um, One more preliminary. That's the trivia question. The trivia question today, which I'll answer at the end of the podcast, so stay tuned. Um, the, The trivia question is, what former boxing champ was once invited to lecture on poetry at Oxford University. What former boxing champ was once invited to lecture on poetry at Oxford? Okay, so let's talk about the CPI report. You know, when I'm, a lot of times when you're writing in general, if you're, if you're a writer, you know, there's, there's sort of two ways that an article comes together. One is that you have a great idea for an article, you write an article, and then at the end, it, you know, you, it, the title suggests itself. Other times you have an idea for a title, and uh, and as you work, then the you know the, the title is so good it sort of suggests what the article is going to sound like, and so you write the article. Um, and so this time the the information that I was going to convey is pretty obvious, but the title took a while to sort of come together. Um, but then, then it became kind of obvious as I was as I was really putting it together and trying to sum it up. And so our title today is. Rents and wages aren't falling, because that's sort of the summary. Let's talk about let's talk about the backdrop here. Um, going into the number today, the consensus of economists was for zero point three eight percent on core inflation. Um, that would be the lowest of the year, um, and I always find it entertaining when um, the the mass of people forecasting forecast something new and different to happen. It's not at all surprising when they forecast something that's that's the moving average, uh, but it's always sort of fun when they take something and they say, you know, they're just so confident in their models that they just, you know, take an outlier, unless there's some reason for the outlier. Like everyone knows that, you know, uh, cigarette prices uh, went up 400%, and so we kind of know that or something. Um, but there wasn't anything like that in this month's number. Just people thought it was going to be a little bit lower. Um uh, Kalshi, uh, the Kalshi market was at 30, uh, 0.37% again on core inflation. I was at 0.43%. If you subscribe to my private channel, you got, got those in advance. And, uh, and on headline inflation, everybody was around 0.3, a little bit, a little bit less than 0.3%, a little bit higher than 0.3%, but right around 0.3%. 
um, because gasoline was down last month, and so we sort of knew that would be lower than, than core. Uh, the headline ended up printing at 0.12, so quite a bit lower than consensus, and, uh, and 0.44% on core, so above consensus. So naturally, um, later, I saw some analysis that the Fed would skip tightening tomorrow uh, because of the softish CPI report, uh, because of the 0.12 on the headline. So, you know, we don't really pay attention to headline for, for a bunch of reasons. And one of them is that it's mostly gasoline. And so if you thought that the Fed's decision tomorrow came down to whether or not gasoline last month was up or down, then I'm just, I feel sorry for you. Um, the actual, the core number was six basis points higher than the consensus. So the consensus thought 0.38, they got 0.44. Um, and, uh, and that was the second highest core print in eight months. So uh, it wasn't outlandish, it wasn't a 0.6 or anything, but it, was, it wasn't soft. Um, okay, so maybe there's some component that's soft, and so we'll get into that in just a second. Uh, the Fed's not going to tighten tomorrow. Uh, that's sort of the upshot of, of, of this, but, but they weren't going to. I mean, it, it was, they basically told us after the, last meeting, after the last meeting, you know, Powell and his pressers said that, you know, we're going to take a pause. And he didn't say those words exactly, but it's pretty clear. Um, and, and nothing has really happened in the ensuing month to change that. Um, some Fed speakers have come out and tried to sound hawkish. And so people have taken that to mean the Fed's going to keep tightening. And they've priced that in the, into the market a little bit. What's really happening is the Fed wants to not have eases priced into the market. Because there's just no... No near, no obvious circumstance that would cause them to to go and ease, and so that's part of the reason you're getting all the hawkish talk. But, um, but in any event, the, there's nothing about this number today that uh, would cause the Fed to go and 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 change what they said they were going to do, which is to take a pause. And so naturally, stocks you know leapt higher on that, um, even though at 0.44, you know we're still running at at uh, better than 5% annualized. Um, anyway, more later on the Fed. Um, core goods in, in, in the figure was 2.03% uh, year on year, uh, which is, a, you know, it had, it had been lower and then it bounced recently in, a, in the last couple of months. And then it was, you know, 203 is, is kind of uh, pretty much unchanged, pretty close to unchanged. And, and core services is still... Uh, very high at 6.57%. Um, rents, I'm going to talk more about rents. Primary rents, rent a primary residence if you own, if you are renting your apartment um, or a home, it was 8.66% year on year and, and owner's equivalent rent 8.05%. Um, and the monthly numbers were, were sort of consistent with that um, in the... Um, uh, primary rents, primary rents were were 049 percent month on month, so about six percent year on year. Um, if you annualize that, and owners equivalent rent 052 percent, uh, so again a little, bit, a little bit more than than six. Um, and so you know those have been coming down a little bit, but but not plunging. And um, you know year on year they're still up you know in the eights, and they're going to. They are starting to come down. They're going to, to come down. So let's let's talk about rents before we get into the rest of, of the number because that's 
a, an important part of the reason that economists think that, it, that core inflation is going to come down. My take is that the former surge in rents that we saw was significantly part, uh, significantly due to the fact that they had been suppressed when there was an eviction moratorium around COVID. So, you know, during COVID and for way longer than, they, than it should have been the case, um, landlords couldn't throw anybody out whether they paid or not. And so, therefore, uh, rents didn't move. Um, it, you know, people didn't get thrown out. There was no, people weren't changing apartments very often. Um, and so the overall rent numbers were very uh, restrained. And that's one of the reasons actually that early in the pandemic that inflation w was restrained was that it was kind of being artificially held down. Well, when the eviction moratorium went away, predictably there was this big catch up and rent surged. And that's what we saw. And so now they're coming, you know, we're past the surge and it's kind of, kind of coming back to normal. Um, but, but they're not going to go back down. Rents are not going to fall. Um, economists recently have been making hay about some new research um, that's out there. There, there are a couple of different ways that people are looking at rents and getting all excited that it should fall. One is that they're looking at high-frequency rent data like in Zillow or apartment.net or whatever. Um, and those things um, have been coming down. Now, they only measure new rentals. And so that's not really what we're trying to measure with inflation. And it's not, there's lots of reasons that shouldn't reflect what the whole body is doing, but that got people excited. And then there was some higher, some more highbrow research that essentially took the Bureau of Labor Statistics survey and tickled it a little bit to try to make it give you the, the numbers earlier. Because the, the, the CPI number is sort of, has this natural lag built into it because of the way they take the rental survey. And so this research was, well, let's, let's just, um, let's sort of unlag it. And, and, um, and, and so that results in a forecast and people are very, very excited about this, that, you know, rents are going to like be flat or declining soon. And there's a near unanimity about this, um, in, in the bow tide set. Now I've read that research and um, and it, it's just not convincing as a quant and and as someone who sort of understands this stuff. Um, the error bars for the forecast period are extremely wide because you're taking an existing set of data and you're trying to extract more information out of it. And you can't really do that. A given set of data only has so much informational content. And so you can you can twist it and torture it any different way that you want. And it's not going to give you more information. If it appears to give you more information, you, it, gives, it takes it away in other ways. And so this gives you a forecast that's more timely, but with a much wider error bar, which means you can't reject any null hypothesis. And the people who are looking at this, the PhD economists, should know better than that. But, they, um, but they're very excited because the mean... You know, seems to suggest that the that these these numbers are coming down a whole lot, and they've been saying this for some time, and they haven't come down a whole lot. So, um, yeah, so that's that's sort of interesting. Um, 
also the period, going back to the research, the period over which the relationship is purported to exist it just isn't similar at all to the period we're in. And so anytime you're looking at a historical relationship, a backtest, you have to be really skeptical, um, uh, healthily skeptical about applying that data to a new period where, that we haven't seen before. And we just went through an eviction moratorium, a post-eviction moratorium surge, and we're coming back to quote-unquote normal. Uh, we have housing prices. We've got you know a tremendous amount of volatility around the current economic environment. And so whatever model you had, if you're very excited that it says that suddenly rents should plunge, you should tap the brakes a little bit because you're taking something and, and projecting to an out-of-sample uh, out reality. But here's the way I look at it. Taxes and interest rates are up, which affects landlord profit. Home prices are up, which is the price of a substitute to a, to a, rent, a rental home or a rental, um, uh, rental apartment. Um, and wages are up, which means your customers have more wherewithal to purchase your good. So explain to me why you'd expect rents to fall in that environment, especially when the overall price level is higher because there's lots more money in the system. You've got taxes and interest rates are up, so landlords are making less money, and you think they're going to, they're going to cut rents because there's too many apartments? Well, no, there's a shortage of apartments. Okay, is it because people can't pay these rents? Well, wages are up, so in fact they can so there's really no reason to sort of expect rents to suddenly plunge. Decelerate, yes, because we're coming off of an artificially high number, but it, it, doesn't, it doesn't seem to make any sense. There doesn't seem to be any sort of economic reasoning behind, oh, they should go down. Because we said so isn't a good enough reason unless you're a parent, and then even then it really isn't. Um, you know, people also thought that home prices were going to collapse under the the weight of higher interest rates. And that was a widespread belief and fallacy. Um, home prices dropped a couple percent, and now they're rising again because the overall price level is going up. And so it's not terribly surprising that the price of a real asset is going to rise. Not only are home prices rising again, mortgage delinquencies just dropped to the lowest level in 20 years, which is not ex what you'd expect if higher rates are crushing homeowners. Higher interest rates tend to slow down home purchasing, but eventually people kind of adapt to higher interest rates because, you know, if you want a home, that's what you got to pay. And so it doesn't tend to have a lasting effect. Where What higher interest rates do is hurt builders, and we've seen a, a, a great decline in, in housing starts and things like that. But that means that there's less supply and... So landlords are more likely to raise rents as a result and home prices are more likely to go up because of scarcity. So, you know, the fact that economists want monetary policy and inflation to work this way isn't sufficient. It just doesn't work that way. And so that's kind of where we are. I mean, you know, look, may I have egg on my face six months from now and, and rents are down 35% and, you know, or down 2% for that matter. Um, and I just look dumb, but um, possible. I'm, I'm more than happy to entertain the, the possibility that I'm wrong. Listen to my, my last podcast. Um, it's important to go and look at ways you might be wrong. But I, it, the, the connection between higher interest rates and having you know, deflation in rents just is, is a really sort of a, 
a strange, uh, a strange thing. Um, anyway, so rents surprise some folks by uh, by not yet collapsing. Um, they'll still price it in next month, and they'll come up with a, a low core figure. Maybe they'll even price a makeup. Who knows? And at some point, rent inflation will decelerate further, and I think it's going to end up being four percent, five percent, something like that. Not negative, which is where the forecasts are for later this year, but but lower. Okay, beyond rents, um, used cars. CPI was up a little more than I expected. I thought they'd be up like 1% seasonally adjusted. They were up more than 4 But car and truck rental was very negative, and airfares continue to be weirdly negative. So sort of in the transportation sector, yeah, there wasn't a whole lot of net surprise. Super core, core services X rents is what I call it, but you know, everyone seems to call it super core, was uh, – 4.4% year-on-year, which is, was a small deceleration, but not a lot. Remember, that's where the wage inflation feedback loop happens. And I find I have to say a word on that as well, because there was an economic letter from the Federal Reserve Board of – Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco a couple weeks ago. And the economic letter was called, How Much Do Labor Costs Drive Inflation? And you can go to the Federal Reserve Board of San Francisco and, and – uh, and find their economic letter. Um, it's very, very short. And the author concludes that labor cost growth has a small effect on non-housing services inflation, in other words, super core. Um, well, duh. I mean, that, <laughs> that's, you know, um, so I, I have to, the reason I, I want to talk about this is I need to clarify what I've said in case people didn't understand exactly what I was saying. So I say, Super core, the core services, less rent matters because that's where wages is. Okay. That doesn't mean that wages are causing inflation in that sector. All right. Wages follow inflation. It would be silly for wages to go first and then for prices to go up. If that happened, you would be delighted about inflation every time it happened because you would notice your wages jumped 5% for some reason, for no reason you could see, and then prices would go up and you'd always be ahead. We know that doesn't happen. We know your wages lag. And yet, there's still this cost push inflation thing out there that, that people somehow want to make themselves believe in. But what does happen, and by the way, when you look on a very micro level, if you look business by business, it's a little bit harder to disentangle. But, but macro speaking... Um, it doesn't make sense. But what does happen is that there is a feedback loop. Having in that, in that section, core services, X rents, there is persistence in that inflation because of the feedback loop, because higher inflation generally causes higher wages and higher wages then do feedback. It, it, if, uh, if there was a shock to the system and, and uh, producers raised prices and, um, and didn't raise wages, then in the next period, their costs haven't changed and, and, their, and everything goes back down, they could lower prices again. But they don't because when they're, uh, because as those, as prices go up and they produce more, they pay people more, and then their costs have gone up, their cost structure has gone up, and they can't lower prices back. So, that, so there's, there's this feedback loop, and so it does matter if 
and, and we talked we've talked about this in, in this podcast before that when we had that first burst of inflation uh, after COVID, and and a lot of folks were saying transitory. If in fact inflation had come right back down, then then you wouldn't necessarily have this feedback loop because wages wouldn't have responded. They wouldn't have had time to respond. But in fact, inflation stayed high enough because the Fed kept adding money, adding money, adding money, and and uh, the Congress kept spending money, spending money, spending money. And that kept inflation up long enough that it started to show up in wages, and that creates the feedback loop. That feedback loop doesn't push inflation higher, but it keeps it from going down very fast. Okay. So, again, so wages aren't, aren't plunging. Um, they're something like six – the, the uh, Cleveland Fed's wage growth tracker, which is sort of the best measure of this, I find, um, is st- steady at about, um, at about 6%. Um, year on year, it hasn't really gone down very much. It's, it's a, that's a little bit off its highs, but not very much. So, um, and by the way, one of the the things in this core services X rents, which hasn't been going down, is is health insurance, which has been a drag on that section on that core services X X rents. It's a steady drag. So, I, I mentioned this when it first happened. Um, health insurance in the CPI is imputed, and once a year, the uh, the BLS sort of makes this correction based on um, the profits of insurance companies because we don't tend to buy our health care directly. We buy it through insurance companies. So this year there was this massive downward adjustment. And, and so that means every month for 12 months there's this persistent drag that's about four basis points on core um, every and, and larger in core services X rents as a result because that's where it is um, every month. Once we get to next year and there's and that adjustment goes away and is replaced by a new adjustment, that new adjustment is probably going to be positive. But even if it just goes away, you'll suddenly get four basis points extra every month in in uh, in overall core inflation. So that's something to keep in mind. We still have a half a year to go yet, but um, but as we look at core services x rents and we notice it's not going down. It, it, it's not going down, even though we have this persistent drag. Um, one interesting thing is that the distribution of price changes right now. Um, for a while, everything was sort of inflating to some degree. And now we have this dichotomy where about half the consumption basket is inflating faster than 6% year on year. And a quarter of the consumption basket is inflating less than 2% or deflating. Uh, and so if you sort of plot, and again, I, I do this in, on the blog post on inflationguy.blog, if you sort of look at the distribution of, of all the different uh, subgroups by their year-on-year changes, you have this cluster to the right of the graph and a cluster to the left of the graph and not a whole lot in the middle. And that's one of the reasons that we look at median is because if you just look at, you just look at the average, um, which is core CPI, it doesn't give you the granularity that doesn't give you the... the um, you know, this, this, this part that's way down at 2% or zero or whatever exerts much more pressure on the average because it's away from the middle um, than it does on the median. It doesn't have any effect on the median. Uh, so, so that's why median tends to be a better measure. Right now, median is off the highs, clearly declining, but still at six and three quarters. 
Uh, so the bottom line is that core inflation and median inflation, they peaked, but they aren't showing signs of dropping very far yet. Core is running, you know, this month it was 0.44, and that's kind of where it's been running. It's been very consistent for the last six months. The average of the last six months has been 0.41% per month. For the last 12 months, the average has been 0.43%. And for the last 24 months, it's been 0.46%. So core is, is slowing, but slowing really slowly. And so this notion that it's suddenly going to drop down to 2%, we, we, we just haven't seen it. You need to have rents collapse. You need to have core services collapse. And there's just zero sign that that's actually going to happen. Uh, base effects from last year are going to cause the year-on-year -year figures to, to glide down a little bit further, um, but but the monthly figures aren't doing that, which means we're going to settle in right now at something like 4 or 5% inflation. I'm more optimistic. I think we'll eventually be in the 3 to 4% range, but I don't think we're getting back to 2 unless rents and wages flop. That's not to say there aren't some good trends in the data. Our diffusion index, the Enduring Investments Diffusion Index, um, Inflation Diffusion Index, clearly signals that the pressures towards these higher prices are slackening. There's some products and services that had seen extreme prices that are retracing, but with wage growth still 6%, and a lot of goods and services which haven't fully adjusted to the new price level, there's going to continue to be a lot of volatility in prices for a while. So there's going to be good news, there's going to be bad news, and a gentle trend towards less inflation over time. Uh, well, that sounds like Fed on hold to me, which is where we are, and I think where we're going to be for some time. Inflation data, the inflation information is not good enough to think about easing, even, even if there was a reason to, which there isn't right now. And it's not bad enough to rake rates higher. So Fed on hold is kind of where we're going to be. And um, I think that's where we're going to be tomorrow, and I think that's where we're going to be for, for some time. Um, obviously, as the data changes, we can change our view on that. But um, at least for now, that's sort of where it looks like everything's tracking. So now, uh, back to the top of the broadcast. Here's the answer to the trivia question. What former boxing champ was once invited to lecture on poetry at Oxford University? And some of you might remember that he danced like a butterfly, stung like a bee. That was Muhammad Ali. And... Uh, Poetry in motion, and evidently poetry in uh, in language as well. So, anyway, that's all for today's podcast. Please like, subscribe, refer others. You can contact me at inflationguy at enduringinvestments.com and subscribe for free for free to the blog at inflationguy.blog. And uh, and do write to me. As I said, we're going to do greedflation next week. So if you have a suggestion, please send me, send me an email. Visit Enduring Investments if you have an inflation challenge. And most importantly, defend your money. And if inflation is coming for you, remember, you know a guy.